I want you to read with me in the 56th Psalm. I'll read one verse. Just keep your Bibles open. I'll be mentioning some other, or maybe better to jot down notes uh, to save time so that we can try to cover as much as I possibly can. In Psalm 56, 8, thou tellest my wonderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? So he says, God bottles our tears and God records our tears in a book, just as everything else we do is in a book. There's not only the book of life, but you know the books will be opened. And when the books are opened, it's a record. And the Bible says we give account of everything that we've done in this body, whether it be good, whether it be evil, we give account of that when we stand before the Lord. But thank God for the blood of Jesus that makes all the difference. And with that, I started a message on tears. I only got partway through that message and I wanna continue on with that. If you remember, I left you, the first point of the message was I tried to simply talk about tears defined, the definition of tears, uh, some from a uh, physiological viewpoint, from a biblical viewpoint and an emotional viewpoint as well. What are tears and what are the benefits of tears? God made us so that we can cry and uh, I, I have one thing that I'd love to share with you, but I'm, I'm not gonna do that today because uh, it would blow your theology and blow your mind. And uh, all things are not like we've always heard it. Yeah, you know, uh, well, I'll stop right there. <laughs> you, you know, we hear a lot. <laughs> we hear a lot about there's no crying in heaven and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's for the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. But I'll guarantee you there were tears in heaven when Satan rebelled. And not only that, if there's not tears there, how's he gonna wipe them away? Now, I don't wanna mislead you because you've got this, you've got this image that heaven is Disney World on steroids. And I, I don't want to blow your mind with that. But the thing of it is, uh, I think God will allow that for the saints that have died and gone on. And then when we get to the place, if you'll look at it chronologically, when he wipes tears from their eyes, see heaven had sin. There was sin in heaven. I believe Satan was Lucifer and he sinned. Now here we go, I'll never get to the message now. Uh, I believe Lucifer sinned. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will sit in the congregation in the sides of the north. I, 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 five times he declared I. He was declaring himself above God. He wanted to be God. And because of that, he was cast out. And there was sin in heaven. But the thing about heaven is there was sin in heaven, but there's no blood in heaven. When Jesus resurrected and he said, handle me, he said, touch me. And he went on and he talked about a spirit in his spiritual body having flesh and bone. He didn't say anything about blood because the life of the flesh now is in the blood. The life of our glorified body is in the blood of Jesus Christ. So you don't have to worry about ever dying again. The problem that we all face is sin, sin has touched us and it's affected through our bloodline. And therefore we're all determined to die. We're all going to die. 
And when we die, we know that heaven had no blood. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't shed his blood. He hadn't given his life's blood for the redemption of sin. Therefore, there was no blood. If there's no blood, there's no atonement for the blood is what makes atonement for the soul. So what happened? Jesus died on the cross and he bled and he died. And he offered up the eternal sacrifice, his blood, and when he offered up the eternal sacrifice and he gave up the ghost, he swept off the old rugged cross down into the regions of the damned, set captivity captive, and led them in grand procession into the glory halls of heaven and presented the blood to the heavenly Father. And he said, finally, heaven has blood and there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sins. Now, I know a lot of theologians says that's ridiculous. Well, then you answer me this. How does the blood cleanse you today? How's the blood of Jesus Christ sufficient to wash your sin away? Because the blood of Christ His blood didn't have the DNA that our blood has. Our blood is corruptible. The moment that we bleed, this morning I accidentally cut myself shaving again. Imagine that. You know razors and Coumadin's not a good mixture. (laughs) And I was trying to get the bleeding stopped. But you know, if you cut yourself severely and the blood comes out and you do nothing with that blood, you trust me, you give it just a little while it'll start to decompose and it will stink because your blood's corruptible. But Jesus, he was not allowed to see corruption. He was incorruptible. And Peter said it is the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth since his DNA is different. Why do we rejoice in this season around here? I tell you why. You see, here we are. We're in this world because of a mother and because of a father. But Jesus, he had an earthly mother, but the Holy Ghost overshadowed a virgin and she brought forth a son. And his blood was different in the fact that he knew no sin and he didn't have to die. He chose to die for you and I. And he offered up his blood as a sacrifice, but it knows no corruption. The blood of Jesus is just as powerful this morning in Rubyville as it was the day that he died on the cross. Now see what you've done. No need for tears when we get to that place where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That new heaven, that new earth, that new heaven will have no tears. I believe you think what you want to. I'm not so sure angels didn't cry the day Jesus died. I know they wanted to relieve him from the persecution he was under. You say, you can't prove that. You can't prove that it's not true. We're at a place where we have just about lost the significance of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and every one of us in this sanctuary that is saved, we are saved for one reason only. It's not our good works. It's not our family heritage. It's not the church that I'm standing in and preaching in this morning. It's not because I had great, great teaching. All of that is important. It's not that I knew great preachers and heard great preaching. It's not because I know gospel songs. It's not because I have Christian friends. It's not because I was born in America that is often looked at as a Christian nation. No, I'm saved for one reason only. I repented of my sins and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all unrighteousness and saved my soul. Praise God. So pardon me if I cry. Because tears are described all through the Bible. See, we talked about tears being defined, but it's also described all through the Bible. Do you know when the first mention of tears, the word tears appears in your Bible, first time you read about tears, you know who it was? Hezekiah. Now, there's other mentions of crying, but as far as actual tears, that's the first mention of tears in your Bible. You remember Hezekiah, the Lord sent the message to him and he experienced something that I doubt any of us will get to experience. He had gained such favor with God that the Lord sent the messenger and said to Hezekiah, set your house in order, you're gonna die. Now, most of us, if we knew that, we clear out our bank account. We give everything to our family right now that we have. We'd make sure that people got the right things, but the truth of the matter is, you gotta hold on to your stuff because you don't know how long you're gonna be here. None of us do, but Hezekiah knew. And the Bible says that he cried to the Lord, he prayed to the Lord. And when he prayed to the Lord, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse five, that God heard his prayer, and notice this phrase, and saw his tears and added 15 years to his life. That's the first mention of tears in your Bible. God saw his tears. And God sees your tears. Every service, thousands of people join us by live stream. And every one of you that are joining today that you feel like nobody cares and nobody understands or people have let you down and you lay in tears, in pain, in loneliness, I'm here to tell you I don't care where you're at in this church, I don't care if you're in jail, if you're in prison, if you're in a nursing home, if you're bed fast, if you're bound down to a chair and a recliner that you can't get up, God sees your tears. And might the people that cried, Esau cried in Genesis 27, 34. Jacob cried, Joseph cried, Moses cried, Samuel cried, Elisha cried, Isaiah cried, Mordecai cried, Job cried, David cried, King Darius cried, Jonah cried, Peter cried, John cried, Jesus cried. I use it a lot at funerals. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus knowing he's gonna resurrect him from the dead. And the Bible says the shortest verse in your Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. We know Potiphar's wife cried, Hagar cried, Ruth and Orpah, they both cried, Hannah cried, Mary cried. All through your Bible, you'll find people that cried. 
Now, it doesn't make you a bad person if you don't cry. But also, there's nothing wrong with crying. And he gives us this description as to why people cried through the Bible. Some, they shed tears of loss. You remember when Abraham heard that Sarah had died in Genesis 23 2, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah. And the Bible says, and to weep for her. There's tears of love. When Joseph saw Benjamin the first time, after he had been separated from Benjamin, and he had had his brothers to bring him back. You remember Joseph was sold. He was put in the pit. He was sold into, into captivity and slavery. He winds up in the palace and Potiphar's wife lies on him. He winds up in the prison. He's finally elevated back out of the prison. He's one of the top individuals now in the palace. He's making these great decisions and his brothers come to him for food for there was famine in the land, but they didn't know him. And he said, is, is this all of you? No, our father lives, our brother. We have a younger brother, Benjamin. He said, go get Benjamin. I wanna see Benjamin. They go, and with reluctance, Benjamin comes. And of all things, his father didn't want Benjamin to go because he'd already lost Joseph, the son that he loved, and now the thoughts of losing Benjamin too, not knowing that it was Joseph in the palace that had been elevated to that position. And the Bible says in Genesis 43:30 that when Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, he sought where to weep and he entered into the chamber and wept there. In other words, he couldn't let him see him crying or they might know who he is. What are those tears? Tears of love. If you love, you will cry. I, I mean, I don't know any other way to take tears away unless you take love away, but as long as there's love, there's tears. And when you love and you're put in a situation where that things change, it's normal to weep. You, now, you may not weep publicly. You may be just like Joseph. You may do it privately, but you'll still weep. You may not weep publicly over a spouse that has left you, but you've sure wept privately. You may not weep over the loss of a child that's forsaking you that refuses not to speak to you and refuses to stay in contact with you. This time of year, I hear from dozens of individuals, and it's no exaggeration, of family members that haven't spoken to them for years and years and years. And by the way, there's people in this church that you all haven't spoken to one another in years. Big old place. You can sit on one end, somebody sit on another and never speak to one another. Boy, I felt that, did you? Don't you dare, don't you dare clam up on me. I'll preach the shingles off your roof. Now listen, the Bible's very plain. You're to love one another. I don't have to love what you do to me. I don't have to love what you have done to me, but I am commanded to love you. And if any man says he has the love of God in him and any woman says they have the love of God and they can't love their brother whom they have seen, it is impossible to love him whom you have not seen. It's not that you agree with everybody, but the truth of the matter is you better love everybody. 
Some of you getting too close to heaven to have such grudges and strife. Boy, I'm feeling, till you ain't met me, I'm staying on it. You're getting too close and narrow is the way and straight is the gate and you cannot afford to meet God with such bitterness and hatred in your heart. That's an impossibility to say you love God and you're close to God and hate others. I'd hate to be that close to death and not love people. Now, I know it's hard to pray for them that despitefully use you. And I know it's hard to love everybody, but the truth of the matter is, there's people right here right now that in this crowd right now, you better be careful. You're about to tell everybody who you are. That the truth of the matter is, you absolutely have such such hatred. You don't want to call it hatred. You want to call it something else, but it's hatred. If I see you coming and I have to go another aisle in the grocery store to keep from seeing you because I don't want to speak to you. Now, listen, I know there's some people they are just full of hot air and you hate to run into them because you're never getting away. That doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you're in a hurry. But that's not what I'm talking about. There's people in this crowd that have had individuals cross the street so that they wouldn't have to shake their hand. You better love one another. Because like it or not, one of us is gonna go before the other. And you listen to me right now. You run around and you talk about me and you talk about how bad I am and, and how terrible I am and, and what a rough preacher I am and then you, you don't like to be around me and you can't wait until I'm gone. Don't you dare come by my casket and weep for me. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. That's not a love out of loss. That's a love out of guilt. And the truth of the matter is, we ought to love one another. Boy, I'm running out of time for I'm out of message. There's tears of love. There's tears of longing. When David and the troops came back to Ziglag and they realized that their, their houses were burned and their city was gone. Tell me if this sounds familiar. And the enemy had taken away the women and children into captivity. Same thing Israel's going through right now. It's a repeat of history over and over again. And the women and children have been taken away. The Bible makes it very, very plain. They were longing, longing for their children, longing for their wives. I don't think it's just so much longing for the fact that their material possessions were gone and burnt down. They were longing for the ones that they loved. They're not there. They don't know where they're at. And the Bible says that, that simply put, that David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. And you know how long they wept? They wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever cried so much you couldn't cry another tear? Tears of longing. There's also 
also those tears of laughter. Boy, I love it when I laugh until I cry. There's tears of loyalty. Naomi was there with Ruth and Orpah, her daughter-in-laws. Her husband had died. Both sons had died. The daughter-in-laws are traveling with her. And Naomi tells them, it's time for you to return to your kin and your people. Go back to your people. I'm going back to Bethlehem, the house of bread that I came from. And now you need to go back to your people. I, 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 I can't take you with us. You, you need to raise up seed, have children. You need to go back to your own. My sons, they're dead. And Orpah and Ruth both, they wept. And finally, Naomi was just insistent on them going back. But you remember plain, the Bible says, and they lifted up their voice and wept again the second time. They're pleading to her, let us go with you. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Ruth wouldn't quit just because her heart was broken. That's why she becomes the central figure of the Bible. It was tears of loyalty. She said, I'm going to stay with you no matter what. You don't have much loyalty today. Loyalty is just about gone in our society. But you better be loyal to the Lord. Loyalty means everything. We know there's a lot of different types of tears in the Bible. Joseph had tears of forgiveness. When he finally reveals himself to his brother, he's breaking down crying so much in Genesis 45 that you'll read where he calls all the others to leave until he's alone with his brothers and he tells them and he cried after he's caused every man to go out and he reveals who he is and they rejoice at the reunion once again. Hannah had tears of pain. I preached about that on a Wednesday night. Not long ago, you remember, I talked about her praying silently. Her lips were moving, but you could hear no words about what we do with silent prayer. And that was out of pain. She could have no children. And her adversary was making fun of her because she had no, no children. And they constantly were coming against her. So she had a broken heart. Esau wept tears of peace. Esau and Jacob divided for 20 years. Just cause. Jacob, he deceived his father to take the blessing of Esau, the oldest, the firstborn. For 20 years, he's on the run. He establishes a family. He now has a large family and the time comes that they come back together. And the Bible says in Genesis 33, four, and Esau ran to meet him, that's Jacob, and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. See, here I am right back at it again. You that can't get along with one another today, you need to go and give one another a great big hug and get up here and weep on the altar together. It's what you need. Oh, don't worry. It's like surgery. I'm getting ready to stitch it up. Hagar had tears of need. They sent her out with her child, Ishmael, the child that was created out of a bad decision, not the child's fault. Here's the child now that is born, not by God's will, out of the will of God, but still God provides for that child, Ishmael. And God even speaks a prophecy over that child that God will bless the seed of Ishmael. And Ishmael's seed is still multiplying today to this day. 
But then she was sent out. Abraham's wife couldn't stand to look at her. Get her out of my sight. Sends her away, gives her a little bit of food and a bottle of water. She goes out and she puts the child under a shrub and walks away, gets a far distance away so that she can't hear the cry of the child. The Bible says she wept because her baby was dying. There's those tears of need. She needed, the food was gone, the water was gone. Jacob had tears of suffering. He says in, our Job brother had tears of suffering. He said in Job 16, 20, my friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. David had tears of shame. He was ashamed of what he did with Bathsheba. He was ashamed of what he did, the result of it, requiring her husband to go to the front line in, in front of the enemy and him be killed. It was all David's fault. He was full of sin and full of shame, but he wept. And those tears are important because those tears are tears of shame and repentance. He wasn't, he wasn't ashamed just that he got caught. He was ashamed of what he'd done. He hated himself for what he'd done. He was full of shame and he needed relief. We could talk about Peter had his tears of regret. You remember Peter said, I'll never deny you. Then the cock that would crow on the third time. The Bible says he wept bitterly in Matthew 26, 75. Jesus had tears of love. I mentioned it to you a minute ago. He wept there at the tomb of Lazarus. He cried aloud when he was on the cross. Now some say it was with a loud voice. I don't believe it was just with a loud voice because physically at that point, I don't think he physically could have cried with a loud voice after the beating and the punishment and the loss of blood. I think it was tears as well as trying to speak as loud as he could speak. Mary Magdalene had tears of gratitude. The Bible says she stood at his feet in Luke 7, 38, behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head. Sometimes you go through things that you just, you just get to a place where you start to worship God and you say, Lord, I have all kinds of needs and all kinds of things I could ask you for. But today, I've just come to tell you that I love you. I love you for being so good to me. I love you for helping me. I have a good friend. He's with the Lord now. And uh, he was a president of a Bible college. And the little Bible college struggled a lot financially to keep things going. And it was difficult. And he had a lot of poor students that had come. They didn't have money to pay the tuition. And the college board was starting to make it a little hard on him. And of course, they weren't bad people. They were just concerned about how they would pay their bills. And, and he, he said, well, one thing I'll do, I'll cut my salary. He said, I'll cut my salary here at the college. I'll keep working at the college. There was a little church nearby that needed a pastor. He said, I'll, I'll go and pastor that and what they give me will supplement my salary. And they said, that's great. So he went 
to this church and he's, he's president of the Bible college and they really get at a place where the, he doesn't know what he's gonna do, the finances are short and he's got this young preacher that, oh, I don't have time to go into it. It'd break your heart to hear what all the young man went through in his life and God had saved him, called him to preach and now he was being trained as a preacher and he was open to anything God wanted to pastor, evangelize, be a missionary. He was seeking the will of God. And this pastor friend of mine, he got, uh, that was the president of college, he got in the habit that on Saturday night with the kids in the house, sometimes uh, if he would stay up in their little home and study and the lights were on, it would keep his wife awake and keep the kids awake. So he got in the habit after everybody laid down and went to bed, he would go to the college, just walk down a couple, three blocks and they had a library there and he would go in the library and he would study in the library for his sermon, finishing up his sermon that he's going to preach on Sunday. When he goes in the library, uh, it was always the same. The lights were all out and on the end of one of the big wider aisles of the rows of book, there was a great big palladium arched window there on the end. And that was the only light that came through that particular row. They had some low, low lights on the outside by the tables in case students were studying. And he knew no one would be in there that time. So he, he comes in and, and he goes over, lays his Bible down, sets a couple books down on the, one of the desks there. And he hears something back in that wide aisleway. And he looks and he can't tell who it is because all that's coming through is the moonlight through that big palladium window. And he starts that way and he doesn't want to interrupt the person. The person is weeping uncontrollably. And he doesn't want to bother him. He said, so I just felt that it would be almost irreverent to trouble him in any way. He said, so I just stood back, tried not to listen to what he was saying, but said he wasn't saying much. It was just constant tears, couldn't get words out. He was crying so much. Finally, there was just a little lull and he said, I, I sensed the nudge of the Holy Spirit till I just slipped up behind him and spoke before I reached out to touch him. I, I told him who I was. I said, I reached out and put my arm around his shoulder. He said, is everything okay? Oh yeah, preacher. He said, everything's perfect. He said, and I know what he's gone through. I know the struggles that he had. And here he is saying, everything's perfect. And he said, well, I heard you crying. I'm sorry to bother you. I thought maybe I could be a help to you. And he said, are you sure nothing's wrong? Absolutely nothing is wrong. He said, I'm sorry, preacher, but you misunderstood. He said, I was crying. He said, but uh, when I come in here, usually nobody's in here this time. And when I come in here, I come in to be alone with the Lord and said, this is my time where I don't ask God for anything. Not that it's wrong to ask God for things. I just don't ask God for anything. He said, I spend some time on my knees just telling the Lord how much I love him, how thankful I am that he saved me and that I get to go to college and I get to preach the gospel. And he said, I just come to tell him how much I love him. And he said, but son, you were so broken. I said, yeah, that usually happens. I don't have any control of that. He said, when he reaches down and puts his arms around me and says, I love you too. He said, I can't hardly stand it. He said, all I can do is just weep in his presence and I can't hardly get a word out. 
He said, I have no idea how long we just hugged one another and just said over and over again, oh Lord, I love you. Oh Lord, I love you. Oh Lord, I love you. That's what God wants. It's okay to cry now. There is coming a time when our tears will be wiped away. But until then, when we weep those, those tears and we know that we love the Lord, God says, I know your losses. I know your love. I know your loyalty. And he said, it's okay to cry now, but you better get your crying out because I'm gonna take care of all of those tears. 